Hey guys, welcome to Cultured. It's your homegirl. It's your host, Bromley. We are continuing our series on post-medical school life. And I have a special guest here with me and she's a medical school graduate. And I can't wait for you to hear what she has to say. Let's get to it. So like I said, guys, we're back at it again, and I have a guest here with me, and you guys have actually met her, I believe it was a year ago that I recorded a a podcast with her and uh, this other guy called Felipe, and we did a topic on gender roles, and now I'm back at it again with her, and she's now a full-blown doctor, (laughs) like medical school graduate, and she's none other than Lola Maria (laughs) Bella. Hey, how are you? Oh, how are you? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I've been okay. Just chilling. Oh, so good. So good. I I don't know if you guys remember, but I used to refer to her as uh, Michelle Obama because she looks like Michelle Obama. (laughs) So if you guys are not following Lola already, she's big on TikTok and Instagram. She's very candid about (laughs) her uh, medical school life and also her life of of life after becoming a doctor. So I am just going to leave the floor to her because I I just love how open she is. Every time I, the last time I did the podcast with her as well, she was like, I'm an open book. So I love that. So I just can't wait to hear from her. So, uh, by the way, I was asking uh, people around and I was asking like, you know, what would you like Lola to talk about? So I got like a lot of questions about like, what about your, you know, of your life in hospitals also about how you got into a hospital and things like that. So we'll, we'll kind of like talk about it a little bit, but uh, yeah. So, so how, what was it like for you uh, going back to the UK and like working in the NHS? (laughs) So in general, or just like a deeper, just a general overview or like going into it? Oh, go, you know what, girl, (laughs) we're here, right? Just go for it. Like, just go. (laughs) Okay. So I would say, do you mean like how I felt when I started working? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. When you started working, like your first day going in, what was that like? Crazy. Oh. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. Um, I applied to my hospital as a trust grade doctor. I'm sure we'll get into that later. And yeah, there's a difference between joining the NHS as part of a program or joining the NHS on your own by yourself, applying directly to the hospital by yourself, which is what I did. And it was like coming towards the end of the pandemic and hospitals, well, my hospital was very busy. It was actually the worst hit hospital in England. Um, Mm -hmm. No one has time to give you an induction. I did ask for an induction. I was told no. (laughs) Um, And I didn't actually find out I was working until the day before I started work. So it was very hectic. I just turned up, didn't know where, oh, I got an email the day before telling me where to go. Um, went there just to, just to do like, just to get like my login and to get a security card. And then they took me to the ward and they were like, bye. And I was like, oh wait, you're going. It was like an administrative guy that, that I met at the beginning of the day. So like, I was happy in the administration office. Um, they took me to get fit tested and then they dropped me off at the ward and I was petrified. I was like, 
you can't leave me here. And then I walked in and then there was a doctor that was like, oh, are you the nurse? I said, no, I'm the doctor. And she was like, okay, get this, get this, get this, get this, get this. <laughs> Mind you, this is like, I'm just like, what? Wow. It was hectic. It was crazy. It was very, very overwhelming. I definitely felt like I didn't belong. I battled with, and I'm still battling with imposter syndrome where oh. it's like, you don't feel like you belong where you are like you don't feel like you deserve to be there it's almost like you feel like you're a fraud and it's like you shouldn't be there so it was like because I was hearing things for the very first time I didn't know what I was doing yeah it was just an overall very 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 emotional experience that first week anyway (laughs) oh wow so this was like your first was compared to like that whole week was it in same intensity like every day was yeah, like that bad I was for crying the every single day um it was just got worse and worse my imposter syndrome got worse and worse I tried to quit like I did want to actually quit um it was a very like it was very and even towards the end of the week like I've battled with mental health in the past but I was actually starting to get worried for my mental health, like at the end of that week. Like, I was scared, like, working was gonna essentially lead me into a depression. Oh, yeah. I get emotional thinking about it. Yeah, it was a very, by the end of the first week, it was very dark for me, like, very dark. Like, my mom was actually worried about me. It was just terrible. Oh, wow. I mean, (laughs) I mean, if you don't mind me, like, asking, like, you know, like, what was it? Was it just the environment? Like, was it the, was it the like the fact that you didn't not just the fact that you didn't know what to do but just just like were the people around you also making that process hard for you no so I was very lucky to be with an f2 who was very very competent okay so I think initially when she met me she was give it like tell me do this do this but then after a while she realized like I explained to her I'm really not used to any of this and she actually took me under her wing and was very helpful um however there were still people that I've met that have made me cry made me feel very small so it was just give and take really with the people um I think what was hard was one me really not knowing anything and I know people say I don't know anything I don't know anything I genuinely didn't it was the first time I'd seen like a drug chart so she told me to copy out a drug chart and I was just looking at the drug chart and I was like am I allowed to copy it and it's like you're a doctor you can prescribe medication why can't you do you know like little jobs like that so the fact that I felt like simple jobs I couldn't do um and she was always telling me that I was very slow not in a mean way but just to let me know that a normal ward would not where I'm the doctor by myself I couldn't move at the pace I was moving at okay and then I was seeing like abbreviations like there was a story where a situation where um I had to present a patient to a the consultant like just to say that he was new to the ward and I had to just explain who he was the consultant and I looked through the um patient's notes and abbreviations everywhere and when I was like oh this guy just came in with this and this um he was like okay cool turns out like I just said I just had like breathing difficulty or something like that turned out he had heart failure had a pacemaker so many things wrong with him and I just didn't know what the abbreviations were oh my god for all those things so when I was reading it it was like gibberish to me 
But really, truly, it's like we could have started him on medication. We could have done anything to him that could have contraindicated the fact that he had a pacemaker and so much going on with his heart. And I just didn't know he had much going on with his heart because it was written in abbreviations like CCF, ICD, this, 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 this. And it's like, I don't understand what this is. So it was like little things like that. I actually felt like I was a danger to people. And I didn't like that feeling. It made me not, like, the medicine I loved, it just made me not love it. Oh, man. Oh, man. Like, so now now what week are you on right now? I am on week... I started, let's see, six. Six or seven. Yo, wow. So how, how do you feel? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, we might go back to the previous bit, but, like, how do you feel right now being in your six? I feel much... I feel that it was almost a bit too dramatic what I was going through the first week because I feel much more settled now okay now but I don't think it's I think now it's almost more of a shift in my mindset yeah than my experience because I still experience things on a daily that I don't know what's going on but the way I react to that is different than how I reacted to that when I was first starting work oh come on oh that's I think that's absolutely like a crucial I spoke to Saruba and like um just just a couple like two three days ago yeah and he kind of said the same yeah. thing like you know you just you just have to like be ready to just just be ready to learn you know like okay yeah if you didn't get something some you know something just know that oh you know what i just i just learned something today like you yeah. know so i learned something new and that's how you push yourself yeah too. and and yeah. so like so if you so since we have a lot of like like i think a lot of the students definitely like and at least the ones that i speak to are majority of them are planning to come to the uk yeah so i think yeah. like what you're saying is like absolutely so candid and so real i don't think you know people would be willing to be that vulnerable yeah and so i i really appreciate this you have no, no idea no, no, it's okay. um so I wanna, having said that like what would you advise um people who are going to come into what is going to be the most shock for you know the first timers in <laughs> i honestly think nothing can prepare you for your first week i don't think anything can prepare you for your first week at all i don't think you can prepare i don't think there's anything you can do personally uh -huh. um I think it's going to, no matter how prepared you are, that first week will always be a shock. Um, okay. okay. I would say, if there is anything I would say to prepare to your mind, <laughs> your mental state, like yeah. prepare yourself, try and be strong mentally, because it's, I think that was what I should have put more meth. Because I want to say, yeah, prepare, study your, um, how to assess an unwell patient, study your emergency, study this, study that. Of course, like you can study forever or study everything, but everything you study might not show up on your first week. Ooh. So I would say it's more so prepare like mentally, just prepare to be shocked and just prepare to like stay strong. Okay. And just to know that no one knows everything. Because the reason why I say that is I can easily say, study your ABCDEs, how to assess an unwell patient. Mm. But then unwell patients which is like the guy, like the basic guideline when you're assessing a patient. But then the patient can literally present in any way. And this is what I say when I said like a lot of people, what I realize is a lot of doctors don't actually know what they're doing. I say that with like quotation marks. Of course they know what they're doing, but they're presented with situations every day in which they don't know what they're doing. An example was, uh -huh. it was my first on-call shift. Um, and I got bleeped to assess a patient who I think 
had overdosed and was reacting poorly to the what's it called the thing you give like if somebody takes poison you, the antidote almost oh, okay 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 so she'd overdose on something and then you give the antidote to kind of get rid of the uh-huh, toxic uh-huh. however she was reacting to the antidote so what do you give someone <laughs> the thing you meant to give them to treat the overdose. So it's like they bleed to me for it. And I didn't want to go because it's like, what am I going to do there? Like, I don't know. What, like, I don't know what to do. If I'm going as the doctor to assess her and to help her, I have no clue what I'm going to do. So I almost like just ignored the bleep. <laughs> and then another doctor went, another doctor went yeah. to assess her and I saw him and I was like, what did you do? Because I don't know. I wouldn't even know where to look. You know? Yeah. And he was like, oh, I have this app. I had no clue what I was doing. I went on this app and it said, give this if this is happening. So it just made, that's just things like that that make me realize not everyone knows everything. Oh, yeah. And somebody said something that stuck with me. Not everyone knows everything. You just need to know how to find the answers. So actually, to answer your question, that is how you should better prepare. No, download the apps on your phone. Download the BNF because that will show you all the medications. Download Pocket Doctor because that will tell you. It's almost like an app for on calls. It's got all the emergencies and it's like a checklist of all the things you should do. That's what that doctor did when he got there. He just went on the app. Find your intranet hub guidelines. Download MedCal because it will help you with your calculations. These are the things I would say you should oh, do to amazing. prepare. Know where to find the answers. Download the apps you need. And that's easy. You can ask any doctor. They'll show you. Yeah. And then check your intranet hub. Yeah. That's how to best prepare for your oh, first day of work. That's amazing. You know, I have to be honest, like, especially sitting down with, like, like you guys, like, it's so, I'm so excited. Like, I'm so, like, keen to hear from you guys because... It's so real and I'm so, I'm so happy. I just want to say like, I'm just so happy to see like how you're like, not just like, just going through it, but you're actually like, you're thriving and you're doing, like, I can see the smile on your face and I can see that, you know, that you're, yeah, that, yeah. that you've Thank come you. a long way, you know, which is Thank amazing. No, and, I really and, God <laughs> and, um, so now like, um, so in your, uh, hospital environment, like, do you see yourself yeah. getting along with the doctors more? Does does the relationship with the doctors get better? Or do they always see you kind of like, okay, they're still like, still learning? No, do you know what I think it is? I think when I first started, the way my mind was, was that I didn't belong. So I didn't really try and make effort with people. I, I did in a way, but mm. then it's like, I wouldn't really want to, I don't know, say the wrong thing or say something stupid. So when they're talking about medical stuff, I don't want to chime in because I don't want to say something that everyone looks at me and is like, where did this girl train? Why is she so stupid? Do you know what I mean? So it was almost like that sort of like anxiety. Even still now, like I still experience it a little bit. Like I'm not very comfortable. So like the doctor's mess is almost like a lunchroom where the doctors go for lunch and like they Uh just chat. I rarely ever go there. I go to like this other quiet place where I can just sit by myself just because I think that that, I just think that would come with time. That's just my own anxieties. I think if you're a most like I can imagine you literally going there, chatting to whoever's there and just being friendly and it would work, you know, like doctors are friendly. (laughs) All the times I've been there, it's been nice. Like I've chatted to someone a little bit and then I've gone. Mm. But that's just me like 
that's just my own separate anxiety, you know, but the, but I am more comfortable. So in the sense of if I'm working with the doctor hand in hand on the ward, I am more comfortable to be like, hey, hey, how's it going? All this kind of stuff, you know? Uh, okay. Oh, it's amazing. And like, you know, I wanted to say, I want to like kind of go back to your first week. I know it was traumatic for you, but I do want to ask. No, no, no. Go back to it all. You <laughs> like, I don't mind. <laughs> no, like what was the, I think, okay. Yeah. You did say that um, you went into like, you know, that the, like, that into a state where your mental health was being affected. But what was the thing that you said to yourself that was the most like damaging, like, you know, which now you would be like, okay, I can't believe I thought that about myself. You know, what was that? Oof. Deep. Honestly, I think the point where I actually started to get worried was when <sighs> it was just like, I just didn't want, I just like, like, I would just think, like, oh, I'd rather just go home, sleep, and not wake up because I don't want to go back to the hospital. Ugh. Like, the thought, oh, I'm going to get emotional, but the thought of going back to the hospital at that time was so, like, terrifying, and I hated it so much that it was just, like, like I'd just be like, I just hope I don't wake up from sleep because I don't want to go back there. Oh. Like, I, I really, really hated <laughs> the hospital. Like, I just, I didn't want to do medicine. I, like... Yeah, and then just like like really like harmful just thoughts like that would just cross my mind that especially after the first second day when it wasn't getting better, the third fourth day when it wasn't picking up for me. Mm. Yeah, it was so when I started to think like that, especially because obviously I've dealt with mental health stuff before. Like, um, so ever since when I was young and I used to deal with mental health stuff, I've kind of got very good coping mechanisms. Mm. Like I'm able to talk myself out of a dark place. Anytime I'm feeling like I'm going to a dark place, I'm able to spot it quicker. I'm able to just okay. talk myself. So when I started to think like that, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Like this isn't, yeah. you know, this isn't going to help anybody it's not oh, gonna help on, me yeah. and that's when I was seriously considering leaving or I was seriously like weighing up my options because I don't want to stay in a place that's gonna yeah. you know damage me so then yeah. it just so happened that like the next week <laughs> was slightly better than the first week which gave me a glimmer of hope oh. that this might actually get better so when everyone was telling me oh, we all go through it. Don't worry, you get better. I didn't see a way out in that first week. I didn't ever... I, in fact, it just got progressively worse, you know? Oh. So it was just like, I think the next... It was the second week, second day of the next second week. I I know the Friday of the first week, I went home and I didn't cry. Uh-huh. And that was hope for me. Oh, that's amazing. You know, that was, you know, that was like, oh, awesome. yeah. Then I had a relapse the Monday of week two... But then the rest of the week two, I didn't cry. So it was almost like hope for me that, oh, there might actually be a way. Oh, that's amazing. Like it might actually get better. Oh, I can feel it. I I know we're on a Zoom call, but I can feel this. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm so, I'm so (laughs) proud. Oh, I'm just, oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. And oh my gosh. And Mm. Um, oh, I'm like, I'm just so I'm, I'm sulking what you just said. That's just, that's so powerful because that's one thing <laughs> that I've heard, like people repeatedly saying, um, that, that, you know, people, I don't know, like, like what you said, like, I don't think people can quite prepare themselves, like no matter 
how much somebody tells you, okay, you are not ready for, you have to go through it. I believe now that I've heard so much that you have to go through it to know yeah. how you're going to come out of it. You know, you can't t- draw from everybody else's experience. Oh, exactly. Oh, man. Oh, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, I'm exactly. sure you'll come out flying. Like, <laughs> thank you. And, thank you. and, and, um, what else? So, so you said in the beginning that, um, so you went in through, uh, so I didn't, I didn't catch that. So you can either enter through a trust or you went for a direct, um, what was it? So essentially there's three ways to enter the hospital. You go in through a training program. So the training program, that's like, I'm not sure if you've heard of doctors direct gateway program. They're one and the same. People think they're two separate things. Doctors direct is like the parent company and the gateway program is the actual program. Okay. So that's a training program. Another training program is Oriel training. That's that's the, that or not Oriel. The other training program is the foundation training pro- program, which is the training program in the UK run by Oriel. Yeah. Right. So the same way you have Doctors Direct and the training program of Doctors Direct is the gateway program, the training program for the foundation program, which is what every medical student in the UK goes through, is Oriel that runs that. Yes. But however, because of our degree, we can't get into that UK system as an FY1. You can only apply for an FY2 training. Now, imagine my first week as an F1. There's no way I already knew I couldn't do the f2 thing so that's step one through a training program now step two is you want to be a trust grade doctor that means you're not training so with the training program what happens is you rotate different departments so you might spend a few months here in surgery you might spend a few months in respiratory you might spend a few months in a gp surgery you rotate and then every week you have training like there's there's a teaching session of something and then they'll okay. like they'll have a teaching session of how to take bloods or how to do an ECG. Like there's teaching sessions with the training program. Okay. And there's a bunch of other stuff you have to do. Like you have to do um, audits. There's just, it's a curriculum. It's like a curriculum for a okay. doctor. That's what happens in a training program. Trust grade, which is option two, you're not part of a training program. So you have the same job as a doctor on the training program, but all those extra things, unless you're proactive, you're not going to be invited to teaching sessions. You're not going to be invited to do presentations and audits. For those in the training program, it's compulsory for them to complete their training program and get a certificate. Okay. As a trust grade doctor, I don't have to do any of that. Like no one's going to call me for teaching. No one's going to call me to do a presentation. But the, and to be a trust grade doctor, it just means you go on NHS jobs or you call up the hospital's HR department and you say, hi, do you have any vacancies I'm looking to apply? They might all direct you to apply through NHS jobs. And then you interview with the trust directly. So the trust is basically the hospital. So it's the hospital. They just call it the trust. because okay. My hospital might be called Chelmsford Hospital and it's Chelmsford Trust. It's the same thing. So I call Chelmsford Hospital and I say, can you interview me? And they'll say, okay. And then they'll maybe get a few of the doctors from Chelmsford Hospital. They'll set up an interview with me and decide if they want to take me. So I'm hired by the trust. I'm hired by the hospital directly. Got it. And the third one is agency locum work. So it's like the third option is just you go to a locum agency and you say, can you find me this so-and-so job? And then they'll just find you the so-and-so job. Okay. So, so right now you're working as an FY2 or because you can't enter as an FY1, right? No. So what I did was I applied to be an FY1 trust grade. 
because the hospital can hire me as an FY1. Do you get it? Ah, got it, got it, got it, got it. You can't get on the UK training program as an FY1, but you can apply to the hospital directly if they have a space or if they need an F1 doctor. Say someone on the training program dropped out of the training program. They're going to need an F1 doctor to take that person's place. Oh, God. So they'll just find people like me, you, and say, we have an F1 vacancy and then I'll apply for that F1 vacancy. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So when did you start doing all this? this? Was this prior to getting the diploma or was it after? So for me, I was quite proactive because I knew I wanted to work in the hospital. I had the specific hospital I wanted to work at, which was 20 minutes from my house. <laughs> yes, and got it. In, <laughs> in order to do that, um, I was proactive. So I applied for a clinical attachment, which is work experience at my hospital. And I got work experience in October, November um, in the pediatrics department. Okay. Now, during my time in the pediatrics department, I thought to myself, I've heard multiple times, doctors aren't the ones that get you jobs, it's HR or the educational centre. A doctor can't, unless he's a consultant or someone in high power that can just create a job for you, you have to go through HR. That's like the way to get in if you don't really have anyone. Got it. So during that clinical attachment, I went to the HR educational department and I spoke to a lady and I just told her my situation. I said, I'm graduating. I'm finishing medical school at the end of December, graduating in January. Um, I don't want to. And she said, OK, well, apply for the training program like everyone else. And I said, oh, I'm not allowed to. And I said, I can only apply to the FY2 training program. Oh, and I just explained that my worries and my fears and not thinking I'm ready to be F2 and not wanting to just take on that added responsibility. And she said to me, well, we do have an F1 vacancy that's going to open in December. Oh, wow. And I was thinking, oh, my exam's finished in December. So I was thinking, OK, cool, I'll just apply for it. So then I finished my exams in December. And I got an interview end of December, got the job from the interview, and then essentially started after I got my GMC registration. But I still, when she told me the vacancy, there was a vacancy, I still had to like apply how anyone else would apply. Like I, I went on NHS jobs, found the, literally typed in my hospital F1. Uh-huh. Because I knew that she said around this time they were going to put out, essentially said, we're going to put out a vacancy on NHS jobs. She knows because obviously as a doctor, you have to give notice if you're going to leave. So I'm assuming someone had given notice when I was doing my clinical attachment. So essentially they timed it for when that person's last day was to put out the vacancy. Oh, got it, got it, got it. So I just went on NHS jobs, typed in my hospital, checked if they had the vacancy up. They did, applied like that. Okay. Got the job that way. So, uh, what you know for your um, for your interview, like what were the what were the requirements they needed you to know, like in if you remember, like the questions they asked you. Yes. So the trust grade job they were giving me was that I was applying for was four months in respiratory as an F one. Um, so it was a resp interview almost. So questions they asked me kind of focused in two areas. One was how I would deal like with a difficult if. Okay, actually, I remember the question. It was, I think, if I had, I was on call or I had two uh-huh. very important jobs to do, what would I do? And then I was like, well, I would prioritize and I would do the most important one first. And then the guy said they were equally as important, very important. And I said, well, I'll try and prioritize and do the more important one. And he was like, 
you should ask for help <laughs> from your senior. And I was like, oh, yeah, cool. That was like, so questions like that, like what would you do in hospital situations? Then my second question was a respiratory question. And that was what I would do if I had a patient with COPD exacerbation. Okay. And I basically just said I would assess them. So I would do airways, breathing, circulation, the ABCDE assessment. Um, the consultant then asked me, but what are the two most important investigations I should do? Um, I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know any of his follow-up questions, so I was surprised when I got the job. Um, and then the last type of question, which was done by a non-doctor. So it was a panel of three of them okay. that interviewed me. And the third question that was done by the non-doctor, he was mainly saying, when have I been a leader before? Or when have I shown signs of teamworking? That type of question. Oh. So it was dealing with, dealing with your colleagues type of question a clinical question and then just a question about myself my just anything i've done in my extracurricular activities okay okay do you know if this is how the normal pattern is like this is how they ask questions to typically like from what even when i because i also applied for the um gateway program for all those who don't know the gateway program is essentially a replica of the uk foundation training program for bulgarian graduates got it, got um, it. so i applied to that as well um, and that was pretty similar as well. It was a question on how I would deal with like a situation in the ward, maybe a difficult patient, a rude colleague, a clinical question, mm -hmm. and then just like a teamwork leader. Like the two interviews I've had have been in that format. Okay. Okay. Amazing. Amazing. Oh, wow. You've actually described it. Like I'm thinking if I have any, this is personally for me as well. I'm so like, yes, <laughs> everything you're giving yeah. me is gold. <laughs> Um, no, no and um, yeah and what what else what else uh, is there anything else that you know when it comes to the processing for students to when they when they come into the UK um, NHS anything else that they need to know regarding the processing um, a mistake that a lot of students think or I don't know if they think but they don't do a lot of people think you need to be a registered doctor in the UK to apply for jobs you don't need mm, yeah. to be you can apply for jobs as not i got my job before i even had my gmc registration and the gmc is basically the governing body in the uk that say okay you're officially yes. adopting give you registration yes. you can apply for a job and you can interview for a job without that you just can't start a job until you have it got it got it got it so i applied before i got, straight after my last exam before i'd done anything with the gmc i interviewed and then got the job and didn't get my GMC registration until middle of January and middle end of January. And then I started work end of January. Oh, okay. Amazing. And you had to do IELTS as well, right? You had yes. To yeah. So I did IELTS um, the summer before. Amazing. Amazing. So when you got your, di um, your uh, diploma, so you had to get your diploma translated and everything. And then you... No, my diploma is still not translated. <laughs> Wait, you didn't have to get... Isn't that the way that you oh, give it Oh, sorry. To that's another thing. Sorry. <laughs> Um, at that time, this is pre-Brexit though, so I don't know if it's be useful. Okay. But at that time, all you needed was three things. A letter from your university saying that you've completed medical school, your IELTS certificate and your passport. So the letter from uni saying I've completed medical school is what I translated and sent to the GMC. Ah, oh, got it. I, di I didn't get my diploma until end of February when I went That's for graduation. That's what I was going to ask yeah. you. I was like, you, so you started your job in January and I was like, wait, you didn't get your diploma until then. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Wow. A lot of people think you need oh. to wait for these things. When 
for what no i didn't my diplomacy in my draw in bulgarian i haven't translated it yet no oh wow i mean okay yeah i mean still you know it might work because we don't know yeah. if, if it's if these rules still apply even after brexit but you never exactly. know it could actually oh wow oh amazing how do you, how do you feel on a whole like like this is like a, like i think this this must have started for you like Because you had your state exams yeah. here in Bulgaria, and then during that time, you're doing all yeah, this. Yeah, it was a very How was like that whole thing. I do, I do deal well with pressure because it was literally in between two state exams. I went back to the UK to do the clinical attachment, but I'm glad I did because it was in that clinical attachment I found out about the vacancy, so I was able to go online and wait for them to post it and apply as soon as they did. So it all did kind of line up. Oh wow! Yeah. So so you had. Um, so what, like, what was, what were the two state exams that you had? Like you had, you, you went back for it. It was, I believe after surgery and before internal medicine. Oh, <laughs> and I think yeah. surgery is like about two months. Yeah. Was it one month for you guys? I think it was cut short a little bit, right? Um, we were having a state every two weeks because of oh, the COVID yeah. thing. However, just randomly, Because that one of the states we didn't have to examine for. So it was meant to be, it was supposed to be surgery, emergency medicine, where there was no exam two weeks after, and then internal two weeks after that. Because there was no exam for surgery and there was no classes because of COVID, that's four weeks. But it was very stressful, I won't lie, because in the morning I'd try and have class before I, on my way to the hospital, I'd try and oh. listen in. Then I'd go to the library straight after, do a bit of studying, and then I'd come home and oh, do it wow. all again. <laughs> But it worked out. So and I'm for you, like, how, if you compare your clinical attachment to your first week as the doctor, it's completely different, is it? You, this is the thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, it's it's very different when you don't have responsibility and when uh, you do. It's a different type of pressure knowing that. If I don't document this correctly, somebody can come from my license. When I'm a student, that's the doctor I'm under's responsibility. Yes, yes. It's just a very different. And then again, also pediatrics. I'm sure if you speak to any UK doctor, peds doctors are so friendly, so nice. And also the thing with that is peds is almost it's a protected specialty. Uh -huh. So there's a consultant on the ward every day uh -huh. because okay, it's it. children. <laughs> I'm in medicine for adults. Uh -huh. It's not the same. I've done ward rounds where you, I go and see the patient, all of them by myself. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a very different from literally going to see patients with the consultant, the consultant speaking through everything, talking to them, updating them. I'm also learning to literally me going into the room saying, hi, Mr. X. So this is what's been going on with you. And this is the plan. Oh my gosh. You know, it's different. <laughs> Oh, it's crazy. I mean, yeah, uh, it's, you know, like, because I, we constantly like when I'm having conversations with medical students, you know, we just can't wait to start working, but at the same time, not to be discouraged, mm. but at the same time to know that this job comes with that seriousness and, you know, you're dealing with firsthand with yeah. people. And so, I mean, I, I think yeah. you've shed like a massive light on massive one. <laughs> massive no i'm it, glad like I'm, it's, glad. i'm so i'm so glad that um uh you know we were able to have this conversation i think i think you've given us so much and i wanted to ask you like do you have any last things that you want people to know you know anything that if i was to summarize it yeah i would say before your first day download all the apps you need to download 
Um, Got it. If you want to review anything, best things to review would be your ABCDEs, how to assess a patient. And just like basic, maybe common things, review how to read an ECG, review how to read a chest x-ray, which you can do on Geeky Medics. So just review a few things like that. That would be what you should do is what you should do before your first day and mentally prepare yourself. Whilst you're working, be easy on yourself for the first few weeks, month to adjust. Then afterwards, start start reading up on things you learn on the ward and then gradually things will get better for you. You know, gradually things will be easier. And there, I know it might not sound like it during your first week, but there is always a light at the end of the tunnel. It does get better. <laughs> Literally, it <Yes>. does. <laughs> Thank but you, yeah. God. And Thank good luck. <laughs> but that would be what I would say to everyone. Oh, thank you, Lola. You, thank you. You're just amazing. I'm just, I'm in awe of you guys. Whoever, whoever is listening, if you guys are working in the in in some hospital, God bless you guys. And I'm, I'm so, I'm so in awe of you guys. But I just want to say, Lola, thank you so much for sitting no down with worries. me. Like you're always, always such a just such a powerhouse. You know, I don't know if anyone's told you about your voice. It's so reassuring. Oh, you know when you speak you. and uh it's just everything about you so god bless you and i thank and you i'm i i'm gonna i'm gonna text you a month from now i'm gonna see i feel like i'm gonna see like a whole other like 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 you're confident already so i can imagine you in like a month like even more like confident so i just yeah, yeah I just even say me even you. me like when i think about the future i'm always like I just think I can't wait till I know all this stuff. I can't wait till it's just a bit more easier, till I'm a bit more confident. You know, it's like I have so much hope that I'm going to get there now. So it's like it, oh. it, it feels good. It feels better. Oh, yeah. you say it. You say it. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for sitting no with worries. me. And guys, thank you. I hope this was and I know this is going to be so informative for you guys. And I thank you guys for listening. And so from from me and Lola, we're saying bye. So take care, you guys. Bye. Speak to you guys soon. Bye.